welcome to this podcast of our new series, Anything, Anything But, but ordinary. ordinary. Much yeah. better. Yes. <laughs> it's a little bit of a play on words um, because we're doing it during ordinary time and Sanctified Art puts out this series. And I really like their resources because they care so much about the visual art and helping people reflect in all sorts of ways. Um, They don't put together scripts for services. They don't really put together a ton of preaching notes. So there's a lot of freedom to address the issues our community has or that might come up from the text, but a lot of resources to help supplement that conversation. Cool. Yeah, so ordinary time is kind of, Pentecost goes on forever, right? It does, yeah. And so it feels like ordinary, so it just became ordinary time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the whole Pentecost fire thing wears off after a bit, so, you know, <laughs> fire, it, become, it becomes ordinary. Burned out, yeah. It's a burned out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the thought is going through, um, really, the Abrahamic family tree and some of the stories we might have heard as kiddos um, that are worth our revisiting because they are our stories. Yeah, one of the things I think is is important for us to keep kind of touching back to is that these are these are not just our stories as Christians, but they they had their roots in the Judaic Bible, and they're also mm. in the Quran as part of the uh, part of the stories of the um, the Islamic community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there we are joined as people of Abraham, children of Abraham. Abraham. So we'll be covering this for twelve weeks. <sighs> And we are excited. You're along for the ride with us. Hang on. Welcome. Welcome. We are we are yet still in the midst of our anything but ordinary series following the lineage of Abraham. Week seven. Week 7A is right. Week (laughs) 7A. And this week, um, I got to preach on Jacob wrestling with God. And you are welcome to listen to the scripture and the message and then catch us back here for some reflection. The scripture today is from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. I invite you to listen. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him, and he helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go, because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. 
Amen. Would you join me in an attitude of prayer? Gracious and holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our redeemer, and you are love. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little different than what I usually do here at the pulpit. I'm going to share a bit of my story. In hopes that, oh, maybe not. Can you hear me? Whoa, whoa. All right. <laughs> um, in hopes that in sharing it and Jacob's story, you and we can find connections with our own stories and struggles with God. Uh, so currently, I have five tattoos. Each one represents this moment in my life with a struggle, uh, really over identity, and I'm a pretty literal person, and sometimes I need a visible reminder of that struggle, um, of overcoming it or growing into it, I have two that connect to my Irish heritage and family. Um, I have a full moon. I'm in the process of getting one on my arm that is this gorgeous um, illustration of a poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. And I have this little dove right here. And this little dove is the one, oh my, this little dove is the one <laughs> that Siri wants me to talk about. <laughs> It's the one I get the most comments on, be them AI or otherwise. Um, it's, it resonates with people. And here's the thing, I know tattoos are not uh, for everyone. I've known this my whole life. Although we giggle at her, and she denies saying this, once in my upbringing, my mother told us that tattoos are for degenerates and people in the military. <laughs> So I had to go to her like, hey, I'm your adult kid who's a literal pastor. Like, do I fit in those qualities? So I know they're not here. They're not for everyone. And I'm not here to be evangelical about tattoos. Um, but I want to talk especially about this dove tattoo in relation um, to our story and to my story. When I moved to D.C., Washington, D.C., it was 2014. I was halfway through seminary. I was going part-time and working, and uh, I was about to start a new one. And we moved so that my husband, Tori, could go to the law school he wanted to. And it was a big move for me. This is the only time um, I really, I cried on the way of the move, driving. And when we got there in DC, you might recall, there was a big few years happening in America. There was a lot going on in this time. And there were also many conversations happening in and about the United Methodist Church. We moved there, and uh, frankly, it was election season, even though it was like two years away from the election. Um, and it was contentious, right? It was, it was hard and tense. Politics consume many folks in that town, and to be fair to them, it's their livelihood, right? It's, it's how they provide for their families. So when there's an administration change coming up, it is really stressful because people have to move and find new jobs. And I was working at Capitol Hill United Methodist Church, right there on the hill. And I built these really beautiful relationships, and I learned from many of our unhoused neighbors in that area just about what life in poverty is and, and was for them. And it was a heavy and important learning 
and I witnessed secondhand and walked through a lot of trauma with folks. And in one year's time span, um, we lost three of the folks that I saw weekly, if not daily, at our Our Daily Bread Breakfast. Um, one of them was named Kyler, and he was a young man who struggled with addiction, and he actually overdosed in the church bathroom. Right? That was a really traumatic moment. Um, one man named Dan was really beautiful, and he had schizophrenia that he couldn't really control. And um, as we know, folks with severe mental illness who live out on the streets, they're so much more likely to succumb to violence than to perpetrate violence. And he was murdered. And that was really, really hard. And one man who was formerly unhoused, formerly a drug dealer, but um, did some really important transformation work. He was on church council. His heart gave out after years and years of prior crack cocaine use. His name was Ernie. And if you've been in my office, I have this picture of him. He's this very dapper man. He has like a fedora on and he's vacuuming. And if you've ever eaten near me, <laughs> I'm a bit of a whirlwind with the eating. And one time uh, we had like a gathering and I can't even remember, I think I was having one of, you know those crunchy Nature Valley granola bars? They're bad for everyone, but especially for me, it's just, and during this meeting, he would just start the vacuum. <laughs> and he'd be like, we're taking a break. He would vacuum up after me, and someone got a picture of it. Um, think, I'm thankful for him. He knew what I and we all needed. He was funny, um, man. And with each of these folks, you know, I was in a pastoral role. I was not the closest to them. I was not their family. Um, but I provided pastoral care to the others and family and friend of our community. And I felt their loss weigh on me heavily. That was a lot of loss for our community in a short amount of time. And additionally, I think I've told some of you this story. This was all happening, and then we were living in D.C., which can be chaotic at times. Some of us have family. Some of us have lived there. We lived on Connecticut, which is one of the main streets that cuts diagonally through the district. Um, we actually lived on Connecticut and Devon Davenport. It was really fun to address our Christmas cards. It was great. We had our own little name. And in March of 2016, y'all, I was just coming home from seminary and I couldn't get into my own apartment. The whole block around where we lived was shut down by SWAT team members. And uh, our local pizza place, Comet Ping Pong, um, was stormed by what we would come to find out later was a QAnon conspiracy theorist. And it has since been called Pizzagate. You might recall this, right? And like, it's kind of a funny joke and we get it, but at the time it was terrifying. It was terrifying. And I always knew this because I've been a kid and I grew up as a kid going through Columbine, like I knew this, but it was at that moment I really realized I'm alive because someone hasn't showed up where I live with a gun. And like that, that, was, that weighed so heavily on me in that space. It was really, really hard. And you know, this was the place, whenever family came, this is where we went, this is where we had date nights, this is where we celebrated birthdays, we knew all of the people there and saw how terrorized they must have been. And it was heavy. It was really heavy. I was also continually and deeply struggling with if there was a place for me within the United Methodist Church. Personally, I have not known a United Methodist Church without queer leadership from Reverend Todd Singley, who gave me my third grade Bible, you know, who was at the time closeted but later came out. 
um, to present day, right? So even then in DC, uh, our church council, our musicians, our office manager, there was always a meaningful presence of just people who were trying to live and love God and neighbor who happened to be queer. I've never known anything but that church in my time in the Methodist church, and yet we know that is not what the broader Methodist church has going on. And I really struggled. Um, if I was wasting my time in seminary, getting this degree for a job, that I didn't really think I could ethically, morally, spiritually move forward in. And it was just kind of like, I'm going through all this work, I'm writing all these papers, and like, is this, will this church actually want me to be a part of it, and can I? Can I, can I do this with who I am? And so that paints a picture, a picture of some of the struggles I was having, things I was praying about, you know, I felt the world was so chaotic, and we were in this new city, and it was the capital of our country. You know, I grew up in Sandwich, Illinois. Like, that was a big, there was no skyscrapers there, which was good for me, but like, it was a big city for me, and I felt claustrophobic at times. And there's all this obscene wealth and extreme poverty everywhere, and cars are honking at all hours of the night, and lights are on, and people are yelling and screaming. People I knew. People I loved died suddenly and tragically. At any moment, someone could show up with a gun where I am in my backyard. And you know, at the time too, this more global, like regardless of the outcome of that election, either way, a man credibly accused of sexual assault would live in the White House as president or first man. And that weighed heavily on me as well. And then I was thinking, like, why am I wasting thousands of dollars of time and energy, right, for this degree, for a job, for this calling? where I didn't know if I could do what God wanted me to do, what God was actually calling me to do through this particular institution. And I didn't know what to do with all that struggle. And because I'm a literal person, it ended up in this tiny tattoo right here. Um, this is a scar with ink that I willingly chose. I needed a visible reminder that God continues to bring good things in the world. God continues to bring good things in the world, even when we're on our arcs, even when we look out and all we can see of that arc is abyss. I needed a permanent reminder that in my struggles, God is always bringing life and something new for me to consider and hold on to. And it might be small, a branch, a branch of a tree that I will never see, but it meant there was a tree. <laughs> And it meant there was new life coming forth someplace because that's who God is. And I knew that whenever I served communion, whenever I gave a benediction for as long as I could pastor, I wanted others to see this dove of a reminder of that as well. That I am called to usher in God's goodness and you are called to usher in God's goodness. So this ink, permanently etched into my forearm is this scar, this reminder of my wrestling with God and of all our wrestling with God for me. And it took me a while to see that wrestling as faithful. I really struggled with if that wrestling was faithful, were the questions I have that of a faithful person? Those things I was pondering and asking, did I have any right? Who am I? to have these big questions of God and this anger and this confusion. But stories like ours for today, Jacob's story, that was a prime example of what got me to understand 
that it is faithful to wrestle with God. Like Jarrell said last week, you know, if God can choose to foster an entire people, an entire nation through Jacob, who was often pretty shady, <laughs> wasn't the best guy. If wrestling is so commonplace for people of faith, it's literally in the first book of the Bible, then surely God can, can deal with me and who I am. The story of Jacob's permanent scar came in the form of a limp, of a night of wrestling. So you might remember a few weeks ago, I preached about how Jacob tricked his brother out of his birthright, and after that, he tricked his father into giving him his blessing on his deathbed, pretending to be his brother. Well, at this point in Jacob's story, he had stood up to his father-in-law, who unsurprisingly had been tricking him and deceiving him, and there were a lot of contentious issues there. Jacob wanted it all. Jacob wanted to be the man of the house, but his father-in-law Laban was not having it. So they came to each other, they made some sort of agreement. Jacob could have some of the share of Laban's livestock, but he had to go. He had to find another place to be. They could not live in the same space together. The only other place he had to go would involve him crossing over his brother Esau's land. He sent a message and he said, please, would you find favor in my sight to cross over your space, Esau? Right before this we read, he did not get a response to the letter. He did get a message that Esau and 400 men were marching to meet him and his family. And that's where our scripture picks up for today. Once again, this man is sleeping by himself in the desert, surely with a rock for a pillow. I don't know what that's about. It's kind of his thing, okay? <laughs> and he lets his family sleep, but he doesn't sleep. He's up all night wrestling with a man, an angel, a being, another test of him. And we don't have more details about what this looked like. Right? Did they talk? Did they yell? Did they take breaks? It's a lot of wrestling. Did they wake everyone up? Did they tear up this land that he later names? Were there any half Nelsons? Were there any single leg takedowns? Seemingly one. Imagine Jacob's desperation this night. It is all caught up with him. Right? All the deception that he brought over and over, it's caught up with him. He has to face it. All of his shenanigans. He has to account for that in a very real way with a man who might either embrace him as the one with whom he shared a womb or might kill him and his entire family as his sworn enemy. And for once, Jacob is not in control. He's not one step ahead. His quick wit couldn't get him out of this. He had to finally face it. And, as God has always been, God shows up. God shows up for Jacob. Right, the dream we preached about, that's not the only dream Jacob has where God is present. God shows up in really beautiful and unusual ways. And this night was perhaps his most anxious night, you could imagine. He spent it wrestling with this being 
who different translations call different things, an angel of the Lord, a man, but we understand it's representing God. He put up a struggle, engaging with God, contending with God, wrestling with God until dawn breaks. Even for the most literal among us, I think we can understand the metaphor of this. And I'm sure there have been times in each of our lives where we have sleepless nights, right? Where we are just waiting, begging for dawn to break so we can at least be up and be busy, not trapped alone in the anxious swirl of our thoughts. Dawn breaks. It's a big day. The man with whom he wrestled must go. We don't know why exactly. We're not sure. And Jacob desperately clings, asks for a blessing. He will not let go of this being until he receives it. He wants God to acknowledge and bless him. And his blessing comes in the form of a new name. This man said, your name won't be Jacob any longer but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men and won. That is so beautiful. And I want you to take a slight detour with me for a moment. I did this in our very first sermon in the series. So we're a theologically progressive congregation, and I think sometimes people might confuse that with um, politically progressive. It doesn't mean the same thing. And Barry and I are excited to talk more about that. We'll probably do that on a podcast for maybe some writing. But part of our theologically progressive lens is that we see our lives and our faith as a journey. It's not a one-time thing, right? It's this journey we have over our life. And we want to respect and honor where everyone is on that journey. Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah to reflect their new understanding of selfhood in God and their identity. Jacob becomes Israel, leaning into this new identity after this experience. People in our lives change their names. We have that experience. I changed my name um, when I got married to reflect this new identity. Uh, I changed my name back in college because I was too shy to tell people that I went by my middle name. I felt dorky about it, so I had this new identity of Jess. Uh, when people back home, and my family still, and my husband, and people who knew me, call me May or May May. For some reason, I didn't want to tell my college professor in front of 300 people that, you can call me May May. So I had to learn how to go by Jess with this new identity. Friends, this goes for pronouns as well. And I want to talk about this a little bit, because in our effort to see and know one another, we call people by the pronouns they want to be called. And some of us struggled a little bit last week with Reverend Jarrell. Jarrell uses they, them pronouns, and it's okay to struggle. We can easily correct and move on because it's not about our struggle. It's about talking to, with them about this experience. And in two weeks, our own beloved Reverend Jennifer Waggy will return to preach here at Chapel Hill. And I want us to be aware that Jay goes by Zezer and he, him pronouns. This is public knowledge, and I want us to have it and to allow him to come home and be seen as who he is today, not who he was five or 10 years ago. I want that for me too, and I think all of us want that and can understand that, and we'll enjoy getting to greet him back here. All right, back to the name change of Israel. Your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men and one. 
and the sun rose, and this being did not reveal its name and moved on. But Jacob named the place. And there's these two different translations, right? They're in sentences near each other. They're referring to the same place. If you're curious about that little bit of textual criticism, I'm sure Barry and I will get into it on the podcast. (laughs) But we come to understand it means I have seen God face to face, and I have been saved. And he walks away with a limp from this encounter, this one big night of wrestling with God. He has a permanent mark, a scar, like a tattoo. One of the reasons I wanted to share the story of this dove, part of my struggle, and why I tied it with Jacob's, is that we are part of this beautiful faith lineage. Not in the same way that Jewish folks are, Muslim folks, or any folks, but our faith stemmed from these stories. And God called God's people. God named God's people after Israel. The ones who struggle with God. The ones who contend with God, engage with God, wrestle with God. Israel. Part of our story is this collective identity that we're called to lean into. God calls us by this name of wrestling with God. It's so important to who we are. It's the name God's people have been given. And I want you to know this morning that in your struggle with God, you are being faithful and you are living into that calling. And I had to learn that for myself and obviously I did it in a very demonstrative and literal way. I chose to remember a particular struggle in time with a tattoo. Jacob had this limp as this constant reminder for the rest of his life. Friends, this week, as we consider our story, our stories, I want you to do some reflection, to take some time and examine a moment of struggle with God and how you've grown from that time. And if you need to, I want you to release any shame from the fact that you had that struggle. Because after all, it is part of who God calls us to be, the faithful, the people Israel. Amen. Yes. Yes, welcome again. Suitable for editing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you, um, this, was a deeply, this was a deeply personal sermon, and you took us to a place where you were inviting all of us to go personal from the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Yeah. Um, and you started talking about your tattoos as marks of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, folks carry the scars of wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. And you talked about those in your, in your experience as a human being, as a church leader, uh, folks who you care about deeply, who you lost in community for in one way or another, for one reason or another. Um, so tell us a little bit about like the 30-second alignment with Jacob. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let me, let me back up because I'll get there. Right? <laughs> so in general, we've been kind of, we, uh, we started this series doing a lot of deeply Um, contextual work and kind of a global understanding of how Genesis and how scripture, um, how we understand them and how we can understand them. And so we did a lot of heavy kind of academic stuff. 
But what I find so compelling about these stories is how very visceral they are. And this one particularly, I think, is so visceral. And so as I was considering that, you know, with this limp and um, this wrestling with God through the night, I thought I might take an opportunity to invite folks um, into a little bit of my own wrestling, hopefully to kind of show like, hey, once again, these aren't like a primitive people so far removed from our own experience. Like we all are called into this kind of wrestling. And I think it's especially important for folks to know that as faith leaders, we do that work too. There's not like a, um, I don't know, a type of Christian I think that is, is serious about their faith that does not have some sort of grappling to do, to use a different um, but similar wrestling term. And uh, so I think just some of the alignment is, is um, that, that wrestling and then, you know, Jacob names everything. He has, per- like, he, you know, he likes... He likes a moment. He likes a likes a place. He he carries things with him. He's very, you know, temporal in that sense, and he likes things out in the real world. So um, I obviously, as a fairly literal person, um, saw the connection there with a, a scar I chose to make that reflected some emotional scars, you know, that I have. As you were preaching yesterday, it struck me because I don't I don't think you you said it straight on, uh, but it struck me that Jacob does what uh, most of us do um, when we're going into wrestling, whether we can articulate what it is we're wrestling with or not, right? Uh, so it's not clear that, God, that, that Jacob is wrestling with God or a man or an angel or whatever this is, but Jacob clearly knows that something is up. And mm-hmm. He sends family away. Mm-hmm. And he is by himself to wrestle. Mm-hmm. This is this is a wrestling I have to do myself, and 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 we tend to do that, uh, and the scarring that we build up, um, whether whether it's intentional, a form of tattoo. For some people, it's uh, uh, the pain involved in self harm, the the mm-hmm. physical pain involved in self harm, over against emotional or spiritual uh, pain. Um, those are things we tend to do in private. Um, why do you think that is? Or, or maybe you don't agree in which case disagree. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, you know, personally, and we are, you and I are on opposite ends, I think, of the spectrum of this, but uh, I'm very, like, hard on my sleeve, and I do a lot of my wrestling once I can articulate it out in the open. I don't like to do it alone. Um, and I, I need to process things out loud often, externally in some way, so I'm not sure... Um, I'm not sure I always resonate with that. If I can, if I can name the struggle, I guess, if that makes sense. I think that's kind of part of the hard work that I might do internally, but I, I think I can appreciate what you're speaking to and that, um, a lot of the things we don't want to go to other people with are because we hold shame about them. Um, and we, you know, at some level or place or another, and, and we don't, I'm not saying that we should, I really, I don't think shame is helpful. I don't think it's who God calls us to be, but I often feel like um, knowing folks that have gone through active addiction and then started some recovery work, being able to say like, yeah, I did this alone because I didn't think anyone else would understand. And like, I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed of who I am. And, you know, so I think there's two different sides of that. One is 
what what the issue is and what we're processing like and then how and maybe the what and the how and that might look different yeah and i i yeah i really don't think they're they're polar opposites i think people no. deal with different pieces of this um uh you my experience of you is that you uh will do verbal processing to get language around what it is you're experiencing yeah uh-huh uh, and, and i tend to not do that until i feel like i have language yeah um and it's it's interesting because you know i've been because i've uh, i'm an adult child of an alcoholic and, mm-hmm. and a sibling who's an alcoholic and um and watching that process of 12-step work in group uh, and, and seeing the way in which very different people deal with that. For some people, 12-step is immediately a very good thing because they, they want to process it verbally. For other people, it's mm-hmm. horrifying because yeah. it's like there's the expectation you're going to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are folks like myself that don't necessarily want to do that until there's language. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting too, I mean, if uh, particularly, yeah, around that to be on the receiving end of, if you've been on the receiving end of getting any of those steps, if you've been a part of that, or if someone has need to come and <laughs> like make amends in that way with you, it's hard. Yeah. yeah to, to bear witness to, you know, someone else's wrestling and struggle. Um, and I think too, like part of that is maybe how we were made and created because we see, we see that kind of withdrawal and, and, need for inner inner space in some way all throughout scripture um in all kinds of ways whether we call them wilderness or you know who knows some of it's collective some of it's together but i think there is um something to wrestling with something until until there's uh the start of resolution until you can imagine what resolution might look like um and there have been yeah go ahead Well, well it's fascinating jacob it's it's full on visceral wrestling. There's yeah. no commentary in advance. There's no commentary after. No, he didn't even know his name. He just wrestled with this man all night. Did not know this person. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Why do you want to know my name? Yeah. <laughs> well, I you know we were just beating each other up for yeah. eight hours. <laughs> um, yeah. So 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 I think what's helpful for us is that there's not a particular way of doing this. Yeah. There is not. And uh, this story is clearly evident of that in the, or or Jacob's story generally, because Jacob has all of these really rich and interesting encounters with God, and they're different. It's not all the same every time, and I think that is, um, that's also really different. And I think, you know, I, without it being in the text, I can appreciate Jacob having to reconcile the ways he's been, like, deceiving himself, in addition to deceiving everyone around him and then living with people who were deceivers, right? And, like, it's not like a karmic, like, this or that. Just there's kind of a reality with um, how you put yourself out there and then how others interact with you. And and having a whole lifetime of that is just hard. And I can imagine um, it would be hard for a human, if I'm thinking about Jacob, to know that, like, he, he took his brother's birthright and then he tricked his dad on his deathbed. I mean, ugh, woof. There's got to be a lot going on in that and having to face it literally um, and metaphorically. I don't know. That's something we all get I, to an extent. Well, and, and there seems to be no negative consequence for him in terms of, in terms of his 
role as the successor. Um, so, so, so whatever he's getting, whatever beating up he's doing, he's doing himself or in this, in this, you know, depending on what you think's going on in this. Oh, in the wrestling in itself? Wrestling. Mm. Yeah, in this wrestling, uh, whatever you think is going on in the wrestling, um, it's, it's Jacob engaging and yeah. trying to, trying to figure out his stuff. And I, and I think, <laughs> I mean, my, I identify with it as I'm really wrestling with and the, what I'm wrestling with is really putting the language to it and identifying what is the core pain that I'm living with. And so therapists, uh, spiritual guides are really good because they work us and, and it's exhausting and sometimes painful mm. to go to those places where we have done damage or, or we've allowed damage to be done to us. Um, and to, to, to bring that to the surface in a, in a way where the wrestling becomes productive rather yeah. than just this internal struggle yeah and these you know i i love a diatribe from paul as much as the next gal um you know i appreciate <laughs> a lot of uh, you know letters to people i i like all of that i enjoy scripture immensely these stories just get to the heart of that so quickly for me at least like i don't know i've i've loved revisiting them because there's so much relevance and like what does it mean to just live and be a person in in a system what does it mean to live and be with other people and how do we uh how do we understand who god is in all of that and i don't know i it it gets deep fast even though sometimes when you read the stories you're like what the heck is going on here you spend a little time with them and it becomes clear at least uh, clearer what what the spirit might be nudging you to consider from it. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, all right. What else? What? Where did you want to? Where did you want to? Well, I was going to go down a, a, an entire different rain pipe there. All right. Well, yeah. Let's uh, let me be in charge of that. <laughs> All right. Take thou authority. Um, oh, you know what I want to talk to you about? The place. Oh, Peniel. Peniel. Peniel and Peniel. Um, so I I studied Greek. Peniel, Peniel. Let's go the whole thing off. Okay. And we <laughs> um, I studied Greek. You studied Hebrew. So you're... What? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it feels like forever ago. But yeah, well, let's talk about Peniel and yeah, I did a little research on it, but given that, like, given where I was going with the message, it did not really seem relevant. Um, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about here because um, I know your Bible study talked about it. I know you and Tanya kind of geeked out about it. Um, well, probably a little strong, but <laughs> uh, okay. So, so part of it is that is that there's really not a whole lot of of agreement because there are a number of different text variants uh, because we've got folks may or may not know that there's lots of different manuscripts we're dealing with yeah um, and um and and it's unclear for instance whether we're dealing with two different places or one place being talked about in two different ways yes so panile has a ver- has a has a personal uh singular pronoun attached to it right um so so panile is I saw God face to face. Yeah, yeah. I 
I saw so, God face to yeah. face. Which which is an amazing thing because at no point does this character identify as God. Yeah. And and Penuel and I we got we jumped into this quickly and in case you're like what are y'all talking about? There's the two sentences back to back at the very end. And um, it's where Jacob names this place. Jacob loves to name a place. Uh, and they're, they're back-to-back, but they're different spellings. And I even had um, uh, Sarah was doing slides for us this week and came in and asked, like, hey, did you, did you like, make a typo or what's up with this? Because it's weird. And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. It is weird, but that is, that is what we have. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, do you want to say <laughs> What's, 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 the, what's the more you want to say about it? Yeah. So Penuel seems to be a more, a more uh, general and seems to be a more archaic name for a real place. Yeah, so that's, um, you know, I, I sent you a, uh, an article because I had been looking for some good stuff around it. And a lot of it was bad and I couldn't find anything that seemed to resonate or, or make sense with my understanding. Um, but the, the school of thought you agreed with was keeping the actual name and keeping the actual Hebrew intact. But then somewhere along the line, folks wanted to include a place that might feel familiar to them or that they understood that that was the general vicinity. And that's the distinction between the two. I think so. Penile and Penuel. So generally the same place. It's just a really interesting example, I think, for those of our... um, Christian siblings who are like, the Bible is inerrant. And it's like, well, we have tons of textual errors, all sorts of things, you know. And and lots of places we have to say, you know, people have looked at this text for centuries and we're just not all that sure. Yeah. And sometimes we dig up new mm-hmm. uh, texts. So, so for instance, post um, 1948, we know more about the Bible than we ever did before that because we, we uh, discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. uh, in a cave outside of Qumran, which was where the Essenes, the Jewish sect, copied scriptures. And so we had all of these, these scripture scrolls that we never had before. Um, and then we get these scrolls among others and have to, have to make some decisions about what is going to be authoritative for us. And if we're honest, we've got to say, um, we're just not sure. Yeah. And that, that's, we don't have to be. I mean. We do not have to be. It's nice uh, in a way because it's, you can hyper-focus on this sort of thing. And it's, I think it's really fascinating. And zooming out, you know, penile, penuel, okay. Like, we get that's it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get it. it that, that, to me, at least with what we have right now, doesn't really change the story. It's, it's more like, yeah, this is fun trivia to talk about what these words mean. But for me, that doesn't really, you know, red sea, read sea. Okay, I get it. I'm not really, you know, the visual might change, but that doesn't really change the heart of it if for me. If we want to make a trip to Penuel, then we, you know, then maybe we'll have, we'll have a conversation about the intensity of the place. But the, <laughs> that, that's not going to be it. And it's really not what, what was going on here because the, the actual location, it seems, was kind of the last line to say, oh, yeah, here's where this, this is what I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. the most important thing was, this, was the text shift to make it a personal, yeah. uh, personal seeing of God. Yeah. And we have this, you know, starting with Hagar, um, we really have this beautiful, it's the first time, you know, Hagar is the first time God is named uh, as any as any name. And then we have this tradition of even these places 
but kind of putting these monikers or understandings around who God is. And we see that throughout Genesis, which is, I think, a really beautiful, um, I don't know, a really beautiful way to understand how people were seeing God in their physical space and in their actual lives. And that's kind of the whole point of this, of these stories for me. In, in a relational way. Mm-hmm. So not God up in the sweet by, by and by, but in a very personal way where mm. God knows us by name and we want to know God by name. The, the penial piece that we were kind of skimmed over that's really critical is that the tradition is God could not be seen and live to tell about it. And Jacob, I understands himself to have done that mm-hmm. very thing, even though the critter that uh, that Jacob is wrestling is not clearly identified as God. Yeah, I like critter. That's kind of fun. <laughs> the raccoon he was fighting off all night. <laughs> no. They could be fierce. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the broken thigh or the uh, the ripped thigh? What do you mean? Sounds sounds ouchy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think there's any particular significance to that? Well, I mean, it's, I, I had said it before when, um, in the, in the birth story, right? It's very interesting that, you know, he's, he's, his name means leg polar and he ends up with this, uh, with this leg injury where I think there's something to that. And I love the poetic nature of the Hebrew scriptures that we don't always tie together because we don't always read these as narratives like we are now. So I, I think that's kind of the, the crux of it, or at least what I find engaging or interesting in this kind of like, I don't know, the, the writers of the Hebrew scriptures, the keepers of these stories, um, they really had a good, they had a good understanding of, of how, I don't, not like what goes around comes around, but just like, they just, they just pull things together so nicely and so beautifully and, it's all part of, they're not snippets, right? It's all part of this long, beautiful narrative and they keep recalling and, you know, things keep coming up and up and up and layers and layers of rich, richness are there to kind of dig into. What do you think about it? I, I, I agree with you and I think to underscore it, I mean, these were, these were simple stories that were passed around, uh, around fires and, and family tables before and any rabbit holes you wanted to go down? You know, so many. Um, and what I clearly did was talking about pronouns. That was a rabbit hole that I, I really forced into there that I was hopeful um, could resonate. Because I at that point, you know, I don't know. I feel like I it was a stretch for people to stay with me. Um, I thought it worked. You were, you were talking about names and, and the value and uh, the meaning. So for us to... We all want to be called by the names we prefer. Mm-hmm. I had this conversation at the uh, Kalamazoo Service Project with one of the kids who was, you know, I asked the name and they go, well, they, 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 they. Said, so what do you want to be called? Your name is important. That doesn't matter. Yeah. No, your name is important. So pronouns are important. What mm-hmm. do you want to be, what do you want to be called? How do you, how do you want to be referenced? So I, and I, yeah, I thought it was well done, particularly since we had the, the struggle last week uh, with, with pronouns uh, mm-hmm. for a, Jarrell and uh, an anticipatory of our visit from Jenaba and his pronouns. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we're encountering um, we're encountering this more and more as folks are just becoming a lot more uh, fluid in understanding their gender and even fluid in understanding their pronouns. So, 
it, you know, it was easy for me to catch on, particularly in campus ministry, to just be like, hey, whatever, just let me know what their pronouns are, and they can change every day, I don't care, I'll do my best, like, it doesn't really matter to me, but there's this kind of cultural, like, I don't know, tension, zeitgeist about it, as if it means something more than just someone wanting to be seen as who they are, and that gets, you know, that gets sticky, and people have a lot of feelings around that, um, and I also wanted to, I didn't say this expressly, but like, this isn't like a weird church woke agenda thing. This is like, if someone tells you who they are, that's how they want to be called, you know, like that's, and that's fundamental to our, um, our hospitality minimally, if not wanting to, um, like love someone with where they're at. And it's, uh, sometimes it can be hard to talk about those things because we get, you know, a little, little typecast sometimes as. I don't know. People confuse the progressive part. I, I think people have a way of thinking that if something's hard for me, that it's, it's it, how dare you change your pronouns because it's hard for me. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, and, it, and it, it's hard for me. I mean, I mm. forget. Mm. And then, and when I, when I realize, then I'll say, I'm sorry, I know your pronouns are this. Yeah. And I keep trying. But I hear it a lot out there as, why are you bothering me with this ridiculous stuff? Yeah, yep. And it's another way, when we think about it as ridiculous stuff, it's another way for us to discount people's identity. Yeah, and that's, yes, absolutely. And I think, too, like, it is, um, I've noticed with the youth group and younger kids that I'm around, they have so much more ease around this. It's just part of their upbringing and their understanding, at least, at least kids in our church and, and youth that I'm around. Um, you know, but I, I was brought up with like, hey, when you see someone, you you know, part of you seeing them is assuming their gender. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it, using pronouns was a little more like you can make an assumption based on how someone presents to their pronouns. So having to do that work of realizing like, no, that's not really right. Um, you can't really be doing that. And sometimes just as a function of language, it will happen, particularly for those of us that have known and loved people for a long time. And then they're like, hey, that's that's not who I am anymore. It's really hard for our brains to make that shift. And almost every time I've had this conversation with someone who um, who has at one point changed pronouns, they've said like, hey, don't, you know, like you don't need to make it a big deal. Like I get it. You know, like we have this relationship, but you don't need to dwell on it. If you could correct it, that'd be great. And not make it about you and your F-ups, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of just being like, yep, just make a correction and move on so I, I know that I'm seen and, and you, you corrected yourself and you're doing that work. Like that's all I really need from you. Um, and I'll keep doing my work. And, and that's, um, yeah, that's different from the kind of like quit, you know, stop talking to me about this. I don't want to deal with this. Like, no, that's not an option. If you want to deal with people, um, particular people, like, you got to deal with this. Or at least if you want to be a part of this community, it's one of those. All people are welcome, but not all behaviors. You need to you need to make an effort, considered effort to see people as who they are. Because we're finally at a place where people are saying, you know, I've had to keep my stuff quiet, mm-hmm. and I'm done keeping it quiet. And I would appreciate you using my name, and I appreciate you using the appropriate pronouns. If you don't, that's on you. Yeah. But I'll know who you are yeah. as, as well as you know who I am. <laughs> yeah. And I think, too, you know, there's not – there are rarely very good 
scripture stories that directly relate to contemporary experience in particular ways. But it is helpful just to remind people, like, God was changing people's names to match their identity since the very beginning. You know, we do this all the time in culture in particular ways. Like, I talked about my nicknames, my last name, all sorts of stuff. Many of us have done this and do this. God did this. Humans have often changed names to, you know, indicate who they are and how they want to be seen. And God has had a part of that. So as, um, as Christians, we, we don't really need to be as freaked out about that. As, as sometimes the cultural Christianity would have us believe. I, I think, thankfully, more and more people are catching on to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, thankfully. It's, uh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Thankfully. Yep. Well, um, I would love to know if anyone else has, a, has an exciting um, tattoo story. Ooh, so if you have one, I'd love to um, hear more about that. And then also, um, just as kind of a fun tie-in, um, Reverend Tim Kobler over in Ann Arbor at the Wesley Foundation uh, started this whole, um, it's a mobile art show called Sacred Ink. And it is folks giving, uh, you know, witnessing to their tattoos and, and how the holy has interacted with them. Um, I got to be a part of it. Jenaba got to be a part of it. You all know Paul Reisman who got to be a part of it, who um, interned here. And there will be some other familiar faces, but it's going to travel. And I'll share some stuff on our social media too because it's an interesting way to think about this. And I know for some of you it stretched you a little bit to think about tattoos in, in, in any sort of holy way. Um, and I'm grateful for your wrestling with that. Well, hold on. Your old pastor is uh, working on design We'll have, maybe I'll be coming back from the uh, sabbatical time with a tattoo. Really? <gasps> That'll be so fun. And then we can have a whole, a whole special session talking about tattoos. People would love that. They would. The, the people will crave that. <laughs> maybe we'll have a tattoo artist come in and have a tattoo day like we have flu, flu shots. This will be tattoos after church. Yeah. Great. That would be great. Well, you know, clearly we're cooking up a lot of great ideas over here, and we are grateful. <laughs> it never stops. We are, we are on it. We're on the idea mill. We are grateful for your listening, your reflecting, your wondering, and uh, wrestling with us. So we'll catch you next time.